Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast. I am so glad you joined me today. Today our episode is going to be a little different than our normal format. Since the beginning of the year, I've made a couple trips back to Kansas City to help out my parents. And I'm getting ready to leave on another one tomorrow. On the first of these trips, I did several recordings of various thoughts along the way. Some of them were on a wooded trail that was behind my hotel that I walked on various days and some were in a hotel room as I headed back home. As with our previous travel vlogs I recorded for the podcast, this is a little bit raw. There's some heavy breathing going on because often I'm walking along a trail, and there will be some editing transition issues here or there, so please bear with me. In this episode, we cover a variety of topics from benzodiazepines, protracted withdrawal, symptoms, anxiety, dealing with conflict and family, tinnitus, tornadoes, transitions, transgressions, <laughs> anything else starting with a T, <laughs> but mostly just learning to manage and live with benzodiazepine withdrawal. The entire episode today will just be thoughts from the road. There's no benzo story or mailbag today, but those will return on our next episode. I also want to let you know real quick that there is a difference in the recordings on this trip. The first group, the first half, are recorded on a trail, so you get the ambient sounds there. And the second group were recorded in a hotel room when I'm lying in bed. So there definitely is a difference in the quality of the different clips. Also, these thoughts were recorded over a month ago, back in January. Since then, I have released a video on easing anxiety titled Easing Anxiety During Difficult Times, and it is more recent, so it covers, well, how things kind of took a downturn after <laughs> I recorded these thoughts, but still, how we got through. But just so you know, these thoughts today are from January, and a slightly more optimistic time with the situation that I was dealing with. And before we start listening to my thoughts from the road, I do just want to say thank you to everyone for your patience lately. I know I haven't produced a lot of content recently with all the different issues going on in my family, but I'm slowly resolving them. There's still a lot to be done. But as I slowly get some of my life back, I can start to get back to our channels and produce content and, and respond to you in a more timely manner. So thank you for your patience and support. I really appreciate it. 
And before we dive in, I do want to let you know that you can always comment on our videos on YouTube or on our podcast posts or via our feedback form at easinganxiety.com. And while you're there, perhaps you might want to subscribe to our mailing list or even donate to support the work we do. Every little bit does help. And please remember that the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. I think that's it. Without further ado... Let's dive in. Okay, um, this is Dee. I'm on a trail in Overland Park, Kansas. Um, behind my hotel, I just take a walk as I often do in the morning. And decided to see where it takes me. And I found a wooded trail behind some houses along a creek. And I decided to take a walk along that this morning. And it's quite nice. have a lot of the ambient sound going on around me. Some birds, some squirrels some of the sounds that remind me of home it's it's good <laughs> kind of to be back here um i'm not going to elaborate on it but some family issues happened with my parents they're both in their upper 80s and the situation at home is deteriorating rapidly now so i had to make a sudden trip to come back here and try to help them out with some things and I'll leave it at that, but probably my number one trigger for my anxiety, at least in the past, has been my family, so I'm, oh, I'm managing the best I can. I guess that's the best way to look at it. Some alone time. One of the boundaries I've created is I don't stay with my family when I come in town. I always get at my own place and usually I just wind up getting a cheap motel and that's what I've done this time and mostly because I need the space. I think it's a boundary issue for me and I'm sure some of you have dealt with that too. But I'm learning very, very slowly. <laughs> I am I am a slow a slow student on this, but I'm learning. That too. That setting boundaries is important. I don't do well when I'm always on. <laughs> I need downtime. So I get my own place. And I have mornings like this where I can try to plan, try to relax, try to center myself a little bit before I face <laughs> the situation. If you're not familiar with the podcast and my benzos, well, I'm still in protracted withdrawal from benzodiazepine dependence. Um, doing better, but even six years out, I still have symptoms. I don't deal with anxiety as well or stress. Many, many of you can relate to that. Some of you are that way even without the drugs and just have chronic anxiety or have struggles with it. But sometimes I surprise myself because it's funny how some things I think I can't handle and then I do. Um, and I think testing yourself periodically is important because you can isolate yourself, you can build that bubble I talk about or that box or that prison cell or whatever you want to think of it as that you think is protecting you and it is, it is for a while. But it also becomes, like I mentioned, a prison cell over time. 
and you become trapped in it. And that's something that I don't want to do. I don't want to wind up in a prison cell. Being at home with my wife, Shanna, in our house, especially with the virus going on when people aren't socializing or getting out doing things, is, is a nice, safe, protected world for me. I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have such a good home and such a good partner to be spending time with when we're all spending a lot of alone time lately. Wow, this trail is nice. Um, it keeps going on. I thought it would be really short, but it's a paved trail through the woods. Kansas City has a lot of these paved trails through the big trees, the oaks and the elms. And I miss that when I'm away. I love Colorado. It's majestic and it's gorgeous, but on the front range, we just don't have the big trees. And I do miss the big trees when I'm away. This has kind of become a tradition on the podcast to... Um, record my thoughts when I take trips. Most of those trips have been to Kansas City to <laughs> spend time with the family, but we've also been to Orlando and a few and California and a few other places. But I like having you with me. Honestly, talking like this, and I think I've mentioned this before, helps calm me. It's almost meditative for me. I get a chance to work through my thoughts as I'm sharing them with you. And I've heard from some of you that you feel the same way, that it's meditative to you and calming to you. So this is one of those benzo mornings. This time I'm not in the hotel room, which I've done in the past, just laying in bed and talking to you, but I'm on the trail. And I thought I'd say hi. Thanks for taking the walk with me. I appreciate it this morning. You helped me. You did. You helped me this morning. I'm a little bit better. Oh. And there's my phone, just as I'm saying thank you. Now, I got that text, and I heard it come through. Don't know if you heard it here. You probably did. And probably most of you may not have had your heart jump like I just did. <laughs> because I'm always afraid of what the news is. Let's see here. Oh, that's so nice. It was just my wife texting me. I love you. Now that's a good way to start the day. That's an amazing way to start the day. So I'm going to text her back. Go grab a little breakfast here. Head over to my folks' house and just take it one day at a time. I hope your day goes well today. And I'll be touching base with you again here shortly. morning again. Oh, a little crack in the voice. Let's try that again. <laughs> Good morning again. <laughs> uh, I got the geese in the background. That's pretty. Uh, I love the sounds out here. But good morning again. Uh, it is Sunday morning on the Kansas City trip. Probably the biggest benefit of taking these walks though is just it eases my anxiety. And it helped me get through some really hard times. And I can just listen. And yeah, I hear 
as you can probably hear now, you know, road noise or machinery noise in the background. But as we talk about in meditations and moment of peace and stuff, it's just listen to those and accept them as they are. You know, it's a perfect example, and I've done that many times. Let me tell you an experiment here. You ever have those nights when you're trying to sleep or you're trying to focus, and there's that one background noise that is irritating the hell out of you. <laughs> Might be just a short barking of a dog or backing up machinery or, you know, like here there's a solid hum of a road behind me. And that's all you notice. That's all you notice. When I'm stressed and I'm anxious, that's how it is. I only notice the things that irritate me. I only notice the things that really bother me. And I focus on them. And I cannot relax until I have fixed that problem. Or moved on. Or, or at least get really distracted by something else. I have that in my hotel room sometimes too. You lay there and trying to sleep and people are talking outside the door. Or... Um, somebody's closing their door, or there's other noises, and you're trying to sleep in a hotel room, and, or an apartment, or any place where other people are around you. And you hear those noises, and they just, you can be up all night obsessing about a noise. But other times, we don't even notice them. Hi. <laughs> two little dogs, a, a lady and two small dogs. Really cute. I can't help myself with dogs. <laughs> but you get where I'm going with this. We miss a lot of life when we're focused on the irritations. When we're focused on the little things we can't let go of. Whether it's a noise, a sound, like the cars behind me. Or it's a thought, it's something on your mind, or an irritation that somebody said, or anything bugging you. We can so get wrapped up in that. I think building that skill, working on noticing those irritations when they happen. And that's all you gotta do. That first step isn't that hard, but it's huge. And it's noticing the irritation. When it happens, and you'll get better at it as you do more of it. You'll notice what's bugging you, and you'll notice when it's happening, and you'll notice your reaction to it. There's so much to be learned in that, that, in, in that moment. But um, I'm glad you're here along for the trip, because I, I love doing these. Um, I've done this in Orlando with you, talked to you. I've done it in, I think, um, Tennessee. We've talked some when I was there with my wife. I talked to you a few different times when I've been on Kansas City trips to see my family. It just gives me a time away from my routine to think, to be, to notice things and slow down a bit and, and just chat with you. And I'm hoping these benzo mornings are, are helpful to you too because they really are to me. Oh, all right, well, I'm gonna sign off for this morning. Head off to the folks, 
help them out, do a few things, come back, do a little work, and um, crash and do the same thing again tomorrow. I'll be here for a few days, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you again shortly. Have a good day. Thanks. It's late enough dusk here now that that you can just make out. I can see with my night vision pretty well the trail and where I'm going and stuff, but when a light comes in your face, you kind of lose that night vision pretty quickly and it's hard to make it out. But, oh. but let's talk a little bit about tinnitus or tinnitus. I guess I looked it up one time and found both were accurate, so it depends on who you ask. Oh, it's kind of like um, kefir and kefir milk, the milk I would drink sometimes during um, my withdrawal to help out my stomach. But it's both kefir and kefir in the U.S., but it's actually kefir from the original Turkish. <laughs> and so, and all of them are used, so it's hard to know which one is the proper one. So I often say kefir or kefir, but many people also say kefir anyway. I digress. But tinnitus and tinnitus is kind of like that, so depends on who you ask. I usually say tinnitus. I don't know. kind of rolls off the tongue nicely, so. But I mean the same thing. And that is the noise in your ears. Uh, a few of you have written in me, several of you have written to me over the last month or two about this being an ongoing symptom. And it's a very common one in benzo withdrawal. Enough so that I thought, let's just talk on it off the top of my head here for a bit. I don't have notes in front of me or any research in front of me because I am on a road trip and I'm walking in the middle of a wooded area, but still did enough research and talked with all you enough of this that I kind of have a bunch of that crammed in my brain somewhere if I can just tap into it. But tinnitus can be extremely aggravating for many people and it comes in many forms. I actually myself have three types. One is a, just a high-pitched sound that kicks in and then usually fades within about 10 seconds. It's very irritating and I'm very thankful that it's not a long-lasting one. I also get a second one that's a pulsating one and sometimes I'll get it where it pulses like with the beat of my heartbeat, which I always thought was odd. Um, but that's one I get sometimes. But again, haven't had that one in a little while. And then I also have in the background this high-pitched hiss that, unless I think about it, I don't notice it. But whenever you're in a quiet room or just trying to, you know, be quiet, it's there. And it's just this white noise that I have constantly. Now, that's my types of tinnitus. For you, it might be completely different. For some people, they get the chronic high-pitched high high piercing sound. To the point of where it's almost painful, to the point where it can be debilitating. Mine was annoying most of the time, and at times very distressing, but thankfully the really piercing one was more periodic. So it would come and go. But it was never a ser most serious symptom, as much as like my benzo belly, my anxiety, my cognitive difficulties, and other ones that really affected my life. But that's not the case with many of you. So how do you deal with something that's in your brain, in your ear, chronically? Is that a word, chronically? If it's chronic, isn't it also chronically? <laughs> Continually, whatever, you know what I'm saying. 
that is really hard to escape. You can't get away from it. When I think about that high pitch, that white noise one that's in the back of my ears all the time, and I focus on it, it gets to be very distressing for me. Because I start to worry about it, and it's there all the time, and, I'm, and it just starts to annoy me because now I'm paying attention to it. But thankfully, I've come pretty accustomed to it. And I don't really notice it unless I think about it. But that one never goes away, for me at least. Now, I have to put out a caveat here for me. Maybe not for you, but for me. There could be other triggers, other, not triggers, other causes of this symptom for me. I was a drummer for many, many years. Thus, I was exposed to loud noises for a long, long time. And that can cause tinnitus. But even though I had a little bit of ringing here or there, it never got to the high degree until my withdrawal. So the timing didn't make sense for this to be all caused by my drumming. But now that I'm in protracted and getting better, I think some of the lingering tinnitus might be due to the effects of being a drummer for years. And that's just something I have to accept. I've never seen a doctor about it. Many of you have, but I haven't gone to see a doctor about it or about a lot of my symptoms anymore because I just assume they're benzo withdrawal and I've gotten used to them. If they're serious, I definitely go and I always recommend people to get them checked out by a doctor because, especially if you're worried, that's just important to do. And, and also it eliminates your anxiety. It helps you to understand that, hey, okay, this probably is related to the withdrawal. The test came back negative. I'm okay on that regard. So now I can rest a little bit more knowing it's probably not something more serious. But tinnitus is not when I got checked out, just because I've had a little bit of it before and it just made sense when I had my symptoms. But how do you deal with one? And that is the difficulty. And there are, there are doctors who specialize in tinnitus or tinnitus, and it doesn't hurt to go to them. I mean, they might still be helpful, even if this is caused by benzo withdrawal. Some symptoms we can mitigate with medical treatment. So if you're wanting to get it checked out, checked out, <laughs> go get it checked out. Um, I don't get the first two types of tinnitus very often anymore. They still come along occasionally, but they're much more rare than they used to be. The high-pitched one in the background, that one, kind of stays with me, but that also might have been there before my benzo withdrawal anyway. I just don't remember. <sighs> but this one is hard. And I'm not coming up with a lot of answers here, and I'm really sorry. Unfortunately, it winds up being like a lot of symptoms where it's just something we have to deal with until it gets better. But I do know avoiding loud noises can be helpful, especially chronic. If you're listening with earbuds or headphones on all the time to loud music, regardless of benzo withdrawal, that can cause tinnitus or tinnitus on its own. So just be careful how loud the sounds are. If you go to clubs a lot, or if you're like me and was a musician in bands for years, you're doing some damage to your ears. It's just how it is. I'm not saying don't have fun, don't go do it. If you're young, I don't blame you. I did it when I was young too. Just know what you're getting into, that as you get older, there's consequences. Wow, I've recorded an hour and 10 minutes already tonight. That's a whole podcast just tonight. <laughs> 
oh, this is maybe, I don't know what this might be. I might even release parts of this in the middle of the month. I don't know. Benzo withdrawal is hard if you're going through it yourself. If you're a caregiver, taking care of somebody going through benzo withdrawal is hard. And when you mess up, if you updose, reinstate, get put on a fluoroquinolone like I did or without looking it up, added in alcohol when you shouldn't have, complicated things, fall back into some old patterns that just adds to your anxiety and worry. Don't beat yourself up about it. You're human. You're gonna have problems. You're gonna make mistakes. I made a lot of them. You will too. Beating yourself up about your mistakes does not help you one bit. It just makes that mistake that much worse. And adds to your anxiety and adds to your stress and adds to your symptoms. Note it, learn from it. Always a good idea to learn from it and move on. You will make mistakes in your withdrawal. You will, I promise you and I guarantee you. So be kind to yourself when that happens. Don't beat yourself up. It's okay. You'll do better next time. You got this. I know you do. I wish you good night and talk soon. Bye. Good morning. I do notice that when I'm lying in bed, my voice seems to be even deeper <laughs> for some reason. It is about 4.45 a.m., in a hotel room in Burlington, Colorado. I didn't quite make it home. I decided to stop here for the night. I was getting pretty tired and having some problems. And so I thought, let's be safe and and um, stop. I'm still only, I'm only about three hours from home. But also there was some severe winds um, in Denver. And some trucks have been turned over and along the highway and I thought, you know, it might just be better to hunker down for the night. It's pretty calm here when I arrived, but right at 11 p.m. it felt like a wall of wind <laughs> hit the side of the motel and um, and stayed somewhat consistent throughout the night. So while I was trying to get some rest and hopefully arrive home in a better state of mind, of course, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. But these are trivial matters, so I'm not looking to complain. <laughs> I'm still safe, um, and um, I'm okay. So I'll head out of here after in the morning when I get up and um, and get home. I look forward to that. I have to admit that driving um, in bad weather, I. I you know I love road trips, but driving in bad weather is an anxiety issue for me. I'm sure it is for some of you, too. Especially on the road, you know, open road. I do try to work around, you know, bad snowstorms or severe weather or bad rain or whatever. I've had some rough experiences with them in the past. 
In fact, one of those was right around here. I was, um, I'm not too far from Lyman, Colorado. And it was, oh, many years ago, maybe a couple decades ago, but a buddy of mine and I were heading back from a ski trip. I was driving in my blue Celica, one of my, probably my second car I owned or whatever. And weather was getting worse. We didn't really know what was happening, but it was getting worse. Um, severe thunderstorms. Hail started to come down. We finally pulled off the highway, the interstate. Wanted to get to an underpass, but mm, there aren't a lot in <laughs> eastern Colorado. And um, those that were there were all taken by other vehicles. So we just pulled off to the side of the road and were hit pretty hard by baseball size hail. Um, my buddy and I were both feeling like it was 20 people with large hammers hitting the car at all angles. When I finally got the car back home, um, they the insurance company totaled it. It wasn't repairable, so they gave me a check for the car. That was the end of that car. It smashed in all windshields, all four of them. And um, did heavy damage to the body. But but we got through it. The hail, we finally decided the hail eased a bit, so we decided to drive on. We weren't far from Lyman. We decided to drive on a bit. And I pulled into a truck stop, Griffin's, um, I think it was called Griffin's. Yeah, Griffin's truck stop in Lyman. It was one I used to stop at all the time when I drive through. It kind of became a tradition. And the hail finally kind of really eased up, and we got out of the car and decided to walk in and, you know, regroup and take shelter a little bit until this thing passed. As we were walking into the um, into the gas station, the truck stop, we looked down to our right towards town, and we saw what was um, an F5 tornado going through downtown Lyman, Colorado, not far from us. We ran inside. As soon as we got inside, the power went out in the building. We stayed there for a while, kind of riding out the storm with a bunch of other people that were all taking shelter in the building. It never hit the truck stop, so we were lucky. And then it was gone. We decided to go down into town and see what happened and um, drove down there, and I'd never seen such destruction. 90% of the buildings in downtown Lyman, Colorado, a small town, were wiped out. The bank building, the only thing left was a safe. The rest of the building was gone. The State Highway Patrol building was almost completely gone. I was um, a volunteer for American Red Cross Disaster Relief, so I um, showed my card to emergency worker in town, um, and they um, directed me to a shelter, and so we headed up that way. We couldn't have gone further anyway, because I-70, the interstate, was now closed to all traffic. So we went to the shelter, and um, I told them who I was, and they put me to work. Uh, my buddy rested for a while, and I 
helped prepare the disaster relief area and it gave me something to do. I was grateful for that just to have something to do. Um, and we spent the night there in the shelter and just helped out for a while. One of the amazing things was they showed video on the news the next day of the line of emergency vehicles coming from Denver to Lyman. And just so you know, Lyman's about an hour, hour and a half outside of Denver. The line of vehicles coming out to help after this disaster. Lyman has always been um, oasis, a safe place in the middle of severe snowstorms. This area of eastern Colorado gets some really bad weather sometimes, thunderstorms and snow. And it's always been oasis for travelers. And I don't know, I always kind of pictured it. It was Denver's way of paying, paying them back and saying thank you, you know, for all Lyman had done over the years to help out those of us had been stranded. I, I, one of the young men I met um, at the shelter who was spending the night there was a um, driving his pickup with his dog um, on his way to California. He told me he saw the tornado coming and it was um, looked like it was on a direct path towards his truck. He grabbed his dog and himself and he got underneath his, his pickup. That was the only place he could find shelter. And this F5 tornado went right over him. Thankfully, both he and his dog survived. The cab of the truck was imploded. And he said he wouldn't have survived if he had stayed in the cab. Thankfully, um, a semi-tractor trailer truck that came by um, stopped and was checking in on him. And when emergency vehicles came, he, he handed his dog to a truck driver who offered to take his dog to California for him. The kindness of strangers can be amazing sometimes. So that he could catch a flight um, and then he would meet his dog out there. And that was just one of the stories that I heard that night from people. Thankfully, not one person lost their life in that tornado that night. The sirens had gone off for several minutes before and people had time to take shelter. I think it was a miracle that nobody was hurt. But Lyman took a long, long time to recover. My buddy and I got back in our car and that next morning um, the shelter was in good shape and we decided to head home. It was an experience. And that's just one of, you know, several I've had with weather along the years, but maybe one of the more dramatic. And, and you know, I'm, I'm telling you this because I think we all, you know, have, have our anxiety triggers, our fears, and they often evolve, evolve from experiences in our life. That's just typical, normal psychological development. <laughs> so when I say that I have some fear about bad weather on road trips, this is one of the reasons. I've been trapped in whiteouts in Colorado where I can't find the road. And, you know, I, I've almost wound up off the side of a cliff in Colorado on a slick road that I didn't prepare for the turn quite right and thought it was more secure and almost came off the side of, of a mountain. Um, 
get a few accidents and, you know, stuff that we all go through. But travel comes with its own anxieties. And when I'm traveling back to see my family, which also comes with its own anxieties, it's... You know, when I'm traveling to places I want to go like a vacation, you have the positive, you have the hope, you have the excitement of that vacation, of going to that destination, of seeing things. And, and that helps offset, you know, some of the, some of the difficulties you face along the way. When you're going to a place out of obligation, that you may not be looking forward to or you know is going to cause its own anxiety. It's You don't have anything to offset the anxiety of the trip. Instead, it just doubles it up and makes that a little bit harder. And yet we push through and we do it. You all do it all the time too, I know. We have things in life we have to do. This is a minor one. Um, yes, my family is chaotic and dramatic and a major trigger for me in my life. But I'm not saying it's any worse than many other people. We all have family drama in our lives, whether we want to face it or not. Some have more than others, I'll admit. And there are many people that have more than I have. But over the years, I've allowed it to become an issue for me. And now I'm trying to find ways of minimizing its effect on my well-being through tools and techniques and changing my mindset about things, setting boundaries. It helps. But we're nearing the end of this trip. And I want to thank you for coming along with me on it. But I hope these are helpful. I hope they connect with you. This has been a roller coaster ride for me this trip. I knew it was going in. Like I said before, some of it's better, some of it's worse than expected. It's just life. But I'm the one responsible for changing it. Nobody else. Nobody else honestly makes me feel anything. I remember in counseling a long time ago, um, there's one quote that somebody said to me that really stuck with me. This was a counselor that said this to me, a therapist. And I don't want to say who it's about, but I was talking about somebody in my life and um, how hard it was for me to deal with this person. And, and the counselor came back with, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, I know I won't get it exact, but with the statement somewhat to the regards of who told you you had the power to make someone feel bad? I was taking on ownership of someone else's feelings and had been for a long, long time. Yes, we could influence people's feelings, 
but we don't make anybody feel anything. But we can also flip that on myself, which means, hey, D, nobody else can make me feel bad. Nobody. Giving somebody else the power to make you feel bad is giving away all your power. It's giving away, it's letting other people control you. I know I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> I let the world around me and the people and it influence me pretty strongly sometimes. But when somebody says something negative to you, it's just words. And that goes the same for people that I talk to. This doesn't give you a free reign to say insulting things or to be mean to people. I'm always trying to encourage people on this podcast to be kind to one another. I do it not just for them, but also for you. I think being kind to others helps us feel better. I think it's a win-win, actually. Um, I still have problems with that relationship. And still have to deal with it. But I think it's a real good... It's a real good one to, for me to keep, for me at least, to keep in my anxiety tool belt. I can pull out every now and then say, tell myself, none of us have the power to make anybody else feel anything. We don't. We can influence, especially repeated behavior can influence negatively, but it still is our individual decision whether it's conscious or unconscious, to respond as we do. I do get triggered by things people say. In person, in the media, whatever, all the time. Far more than I ever did before benzo withdrawal. It's something I'm still dealing with. I am better. I'll admit that. Um, like with the news, I can watch a little more news now. And when I do get worked up about something, it fades quicker than it used to, most of the time. I usually don't carry it too long. And I can find a bright spot or something else to focus on once I processed it. But it still happens. I know it still happens for a lot of you, the anger, the sadness, the frustration from events and people around you. Many of you have shared those with me. I guess what I'm trying to say is, again, we are the ones responsible for our own peace of mind. Most mental health tools, most anxiety tools, are ones that we need to keep well-maintained, keep, keep the tools sharpened and cleaned and ready for use. You can't just ignore them for a long time and then expect it to be there when you need it. And the more we use them, the more effective they become and the more habitual they become. It's great when a good anxiety tool becomes a habit. 
I have several of those now. And sometimes they kick in without me even thinking about it. Sometimes it's just to stop and take three deep breaths. That's another tool in my belt. And a great one. Just kind of three meditative deep breaths. Feel the experience that's going on. Take the deep breaths, recenter yourself, then come back to whatever is the issue at hand. These are simple things. These are two very basic techniques that I use. And there's plenty more. Find the ones that work for you. That's what I did. And there's so many out there. You'll find ones that work for you. What is it now? Uh, it's about 5.20 in the morning. Ugh. And I am still, I think I'm going to wind up with like four hours of recording. <laughs> Plus, maybe, from this trip. And trying to get that down to one hour will be interesting. But the nice thing about that is, hopefully I can cut out a lot of the junk. And hopefully have some decent stuff in there. But, yeah, I'm laying here and I know that so many of you want to talk about the symptoms. Um, the physical symptoms. And, you know, every time I do, I always wind up steering myself to talking more about anxiety. And I'm sure that probably frustrates you sometimes. I think it's just where my mind goes. And I think it's where, like I've said before, it's where I feel we can actually make a difference. But it doesn't mean I don't mind talking about the physical symptoms. And I'm happy to. And I know it's something we need to talk about and share and connect on. But these symptoms make life pretty hard for us. And when I say, you know, focus on your anxiety and try to ease your anxiety, I never mean that to at all, you know, belittle your physical symptoms. Or say, hey, just focus on this and they're all better. It's not that easy and it doesn't work that way. I focus on trying to manage your anxiety and find tools to manage your anxiety and create a healthy mindset because I think it's the one area we can make the most difference to improve our experience in benzo withdrawal. It's the one I've seen that can make the most difference. But it doesn't mean that anxiety is the number one symptom. It might be. I mean, these were anti-anxiety drugs, so <laughs> maybe that makes sense. But the other symptoms aren't all directly related to anxiety. They're probably a result of it because that's the part of our bodies, that's the nervous system, the GABA receptors that were affected by this that often relate to excitability and anxiety. But still, I focus on that because I think it's the one place we can make a difference. I have yet to find any quick fix, magic pill, solution, whatever, for physical symptoms of withdrawal. I found a couple things that helped a little bit um, along the way, like with my benzo belly and with a couple others. So the benzo belly, I found kefir milk, the kefir milk that I mentioned, helped a little bit, but that was just me. I also know other people have found that it made it worse. I'm not recommending it here, nor do I recommend any substances on this, on this show. I just can't. Um, number one, I don't, I shouldn't um, legally and just, I'm not trained in this. And number two, 
it comes back to the axiom. Everyone's different. It's hard to hear that, but it really is true. Everybody seems to react differently to all kinds of things in benzoyl withdrawal. So I, I steer clear of that sometimes and remind people that I can't really you know, recommend you. And even though I get a lot of requests for that, I make sure I let them know that I can't suggest a substance or a vitamin or a pill or a treatment or a salve or, you know, melatonin or gabapentin or, you know, vitamin D or, you know, and I'm just throwing things out of the blue. I can't recommend. I also can't say that they're going to hurt you. I, I have caution, personally, opinions about some of them. But I focused on, I focused on natural healing as much as I can. And I'm not, when I say natural healing, I'm not averse to medication. I'm really not, even after I, when I went through. I believe medications still have saved lives. I believe I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for medications like penicillin. These things have, these medications, these treatments, Doctors have saved millions and millions of lives over the years. It's a fact. It's not a debate. This is a fact. And I wouldn't be here without them. So there's some amazing, wonderful medications. I also believe, <laughs> saying that, that some medications are overprescribed and are not handled well by physicians, are not prescribed properly by physicians. And physicians sometimes have a tendency to then turn their back on their patients who wind up becoming dependent on them. But during withdrawal, I decided when I say natural approach, I was trying to do it with, it, with as little extra medication or vitamin or supplement or other treatments along the way. Because I had in my head this idea I have this vision of my body healing. I've mentioned to many of you that before, that to me, benzo withdrawal is my body healing. And sometimes healing is painful. And sometimes healing takes a long time. But that vision got me through some really hard days. And if I could bear with the symptom, and some are very hard to do that, but if I can bear with the benzo belly or or the tinnitus or the the you know brain the, the brain zaps or the the random pains in the body or the muscle aches or you know on and on and or the the skin rashes the echesthesia that i had the paresthesia if i can just realize and think of it as a symptom and push through then in my mind, and again, I am not a medical professional, and this is not even a theory, it's just my thinking, my opinion. But I would, I, I could just, um, God, lost my train of thought again. D, damn. Oh, man, that wall goes up. And sometimes that wall, and mentally I'm trying to even knock on it or push it and just shove through. And it pushes back equally as hard. It is weird. I didn't, I don't remember having that before benzo withdrawal. And 
that's probably a perfect example of what we're talking about here. It always seems to come up at a good time because uh, maybe I'm making a point. God, what was my topic? Oh, man. It can be frustrating. It can be frustrating. We're talking about anxiety and symptoms. Oh, natural approach. See, I knew if I... Sometimes you just got to pull yourself away from the thought and let it come back to you on its own. And actually, that might be a decent analogy for what we're talking about here. When I mention healing naturally or a more natural point, I'm just letting my body heal. Do it on its own. Just like that brain cramp I just had, that wall, the more I pushed it, the more it pushed back. I couldn't get to that thought. But when I backed up and kind of let it be for a bit, my body, my brain, eventually reminded me of what I was talking about. I didn't fight it. I didn't fight it. So, anyway, along the way, I did take some substances to try to help because it got severe. I did CBD for a while. Um, I even did CBD with THC. That's cannabis even with the THC in it for a little bit. I lived in Colorado and still do, and this was available to us legally. Didn't get much effect out of that, so stopped taking. I tried some melatonin. Um, don't think that helped. I did magnesium in the form of Epsom salt baths. I think that helped my muscles, so that did help me sleep some. I took Benadryl for a long time to help me sleep, but I stopped taking that after a while because I felt I was becoming dependent on that to sleep, and I didn't want that to happen. Many things that I started to take, I started to do an antidepressant a couple times, Celexa and Prozac, and both of those I stopped taking. I was always looking for that answer, just like so many of us are. But most of the time I would start it, and then I'd decide, no, I don't want to complicate this. I want to try to stick with simplicity. And so I'd start to, you know, try to do it on my own. And then, of course, you know, you go to another doctor who prescribes a fluoroquinolone and totally screws you up anyway, <laughs> which is what happened to me and probably have neuropathy from that. And like I said, for those of you who might be looking at me as an example of what's to come, please don't. Please, you know, connect with me on what we're going through. I love that. I think that's helpful. But don't, please don't use me as expectation of what's to come. I'm an extreme case. I'm in the small minority of people recovering from this. Most people six years out don't still have the symptoms I do. Most people don't. But, and there it goes again. Wow, I'm in rare form. And please understand, my brain fog now is also related to my heavily increased anxiety lately. Um, I'm not always this bad. This trip's been hard. Um, and thus, when the anxiety gets up high, when my symptoms kick up, my um, cognitive dysfunction also kicks in. And so right now I'm having trouble placing thoughts because or, or recovering um, memories short term because kind of what happens. I don't know. 
But I've tried to do this as naturally as I can. And I think that's what I was talking about. It was just my way. You may have a different way. But I did try things along the way. So it wasn't without attempting other methods of easing my symptoms. And I totally get it. And I don't blame anybody for trying things. It might help you. It might not help you. I can't say. Because I don't know what's going to work for you. But in the end, I figured my body's healing. It knows how to do this best. So as much as possible, I have tried to allow my body to just heal on its own. And I believe it's still doing that. I really do. And that closes out my thoughts from the road. Before we close out this episode, please allow me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal or professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. Well, thank you so much for listening and for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope these types of podcasts, these vlogs from the road, speak to you. But if they don't, don't worry. We'll be getting back to our normal format in the next episode. Our next scheduled episode is episode 77, and it should be released April 1st. No, that's not an April Fool's joke. I actually plan on, re on releasing our next episode on April 1st. I'll do everything I can to make that happen. But I do want to thank you again for joining me today, and please let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.